Welcome back to this special episode, um, crossover episode, if you will, Body Bags and the Graveyard Shit Podcast. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. We're talking about the many versions of George A. Romero's classic Dawn of the Dead. Um, before we get to that, we'll just, you know, go with any news we got and everything and uh, just run from there. Well, so. we were gonna talk about uh the trailer that dropped or teaser call it for godzilla minus one. Oh, i'm so looking forward to it december um uh, I, I i you know it's funny i reached out to derek because derek is the godzilla guy i mean you yeah. know one that i know that's like really super into it um and i was trying to get him to tell me if if this where this fit under the Toho umbrella of, you know, especially in, in, in you know, in light of Shin or yeah. he wasn't sure, but uh, it seems like the uh, trailer is just, it's another, uh, like Shin, it's sort of its own thing, maybe? That's what I got out of it. Um, my hope is that it's the start of a new era, if you will. Like, you know, we had the Showa movies, we had the Heisei movies and everything. I'm hoping this is a new, you know, and a new bunch. But from what I've heard, uh, you know, they're going big with, like, uh, Godzilla, like, with, like, America and everything. Like, there's, uh, they've signed some deal that, like, I, I don't know what the, how it works, whatever, but there's going to be Godzilla in multiple formats over in 
like America and everything. So like we can get like TV shows or something and everything. Uh, it's really kind of going hard on it and I am definitely down and I love that, that new Godzilla design. It looks like a cross between like your standard normal awesome Godzilla and like the legendary Godzilla from, uh, you know, the, the American movies. It's like a nice mix between the two and it's got the, the big ass spiky spines. I love that. That's something that a lot of Godzilla movies, Japanese and American and everything, just don't tend to get those big ass dorsal fins. I love them. I love uh I love just the idea that this is uh it, it seems almost immediately post World War Two, like Japan is at ground zero and out of the uh rubble uh yeah. for the, the lack of a better phrase. Uh, Godzilla emerges to uh drop Japan minus one apparently is what the idea is. Um and that, I love it. that to I me is awesome, man. Thematically, uh just uh aesthetically, you know, I don't know you know how much in the forefront Hiroshima or Nagasaki will be, but you know, just the idea that um this monster just comes uh you know up from all this destruction and you know to literally kick you when you're down. Oh yeah. I think that I mean, damn. Um, that's I, I, it, it looks uh now when Shin came out it was nowhere around me and I missed it theatrically. I'm hoping this one this is getting a, a wide release from what I've heard. That's that's part of it, you know, that you know with this deal that you're going to be getting wide releases of uh new Japanese Godzilla movies and everything. I saw Shin in the theater and I I loved it. It was a great experience. I, I found it really funny, though, because there were some people behind me, and uh, they were walking in when I was walking in, and there was this group of, like, I, I bet they were, they were Japanese, but I'll just say this group of Asian people, and one guy turned to the other and he says, bet they're all going to see Godzilla. <laughs> and and they, they did. They sat about four rows back. <laughs> I thought that was really funny, but yeah, honestly, I've seen when it comes to Japanese Godzilla movies, I've seen two in the in the theaters. I saw Godzilla two thousand, and I saw Shin Godzilla, and they're both two of my like best memories of theatrical experiences. You know, there's just something about Godzilla, man. What were you gonna say, Sam? I wonder if they if they will ever make a sequel to Shin with that um kind of uh the ending it had where it was like hey it's I it might evolve again into people. I I wish they would honestly. Um I I don't I don't know if they ever will. I mean uh I mean the, I guess the part that makes it kind of difficult is just that line at the end where they're like, uh, yeah, if, uh, if it comes back to life where the countdown is going to continue, and it was already at like 24 seconds before they were going to drop nukes on it. So <laughs> I, I guess, you know, like, I think they I think they could do it, though. I think there's a way. Honestly, I got to say, I love the design of Shin Godzilla. That was like really kind of one of 
one of the like genuine Godzilla horror movies. And when yeah. you really think about like everything about Shin Godzilla screams body horror. I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking that's where they're going to get uh, uh at least in terms of thematically horror wise uh in this one Godzilla seems like he is uh, enemy number 1. I love that. I prefer Godzilla as a villain always have. Well, he's rarely yeah. ever an enemy anymore. I mean, he wasn't Shin and he wasn't the original. Yeah. Uh, was Shin he was he was the bad guy in Shin was uh, he the original in uh, Godzilla Rides Again, or was it that? Yeah, oh. yeah. He was he was still a, a bad guy in Godzilla Rides Again. Um, GMK, he was a villain in that. I love GMK. That's actually my favorite Godzilla movie. What, so. was, the, what was the one where it was that kid that, um, like, somehow, like, gets on that island every now and again in the movie? Oh. Best friends with uh, the son. Oh, a son of Godzilla, I think. I loved that one. When I was <laughs> Man, seriously, it's funny when you when you think of Godzilla movies. There's like so many. Everyone's got their favorite. So here, here's the main question: Who's your favorite villain in a Godzilla movie? Your favorite like evil monster? I liked. Um the, the one that, uh, crap. I don't know if it's one or two because it's just been a while since I've just watched Godzilla movies. Mm. Um, it came from, like, that black hole and started off super small and then, it, like, grew over time and started, like, eating people and then it grew to, like, the size where it could fight Godzilla or whatever. Mm. And, like, there was that, there was that, like, flood in the city. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I don't, I don't remember if it was the same. Uh, monster, di- different monsters, but I really liked uh, that one where it was like small and it was like getting people because it was just that size, and the more it grew, the more like it was gonna fight. Uh, yeah. but... Was it a destroyer? Uh, let me look it up. Yeah, that started off as like small little like creatures, and then became a big ass thing that eventually killed Godzilla. No, it wasn't that one. <laughs> I, um, I find it funny, though, you know, because, like, you get all these different ones. I've always been a Gigan fan. You know, Gigan and Ghidorah are my two favorites. Yeah, I think um, for me, Ghidorah is. And that's the one I remember as a kid mostly getting all psyched up about. There's just something about Ghidorah. I mean, you know, those uh, three heads. Just, I don't know. Um, we do have a, uh, uh, I don't know much about the premise, if anything's been released, but there's, uh, we're getting a new Saw film, apparently. Yeah, I have no clue how that's going to work. Um, I mean, I from what I know, um, it does involve John Kramer again, so. Yeah, and a girl, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. You know, you know what? I, I got to say it right now, and I'm saying this to Disney. When you want to de-age a character, just look how they did it in Saw. Just take your actor, put him in a backwards-facing hat, and then say he's like 20 years younger. 
That's all you need to do. When did they do the de-aging? Uh, what movie did they do that for? I, I think it was Saw 3. Uh. It was showing him when he was, quote-unquote, younger, and it was just him with a with a, his hat on backwards. Oh, that's yes. all they did. They put him in. They put him, They put him in a backwards facing hat, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, he's younger now." I, I loved. Own, it. I loved I, it. I own two Saw films: Saw the first original Saw film and Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, Saw two is, is Saw two is probably my favorite. There's just something about you know. Girl in a pit of hypodermic needles that's just kind of disturbing enough that, you know. And uh, and I just have to say also, I wish with the Saw movies they'd go back to the the form of marketing they used to do where they just have, like, body parts. Like, Saw 1 just had a foot on the cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. Saw yeah, two yeah. had two fingers. Saw three had like three teeth or something. I loved that. I thought that was such a cool way to advertise your movie. They they kind of lost it with five though. Um, <laughs> we got um, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, well, depending on when and if. Uh, do do look around your theaters. I know for us here, coming up in a in a week or two, we'll be um, uh, getting Friday the Thirteenth on the big screen. So looking forward to that. That's so awesome. I mean, it's funny. Out of all of the like the the what you could say like the like the big three of uh, horror movie villains. Jason was the one I saw, I think, the most in theaters. Until, you know, like, until I started watching the Halloween ones. Yeah. You know, just do the vacuum. Like, I saw I saw Jason, um, was it, uh, I saw Jason X in the theater. I saw um, the remake. I saw... Freddy versus Jason. At that point, you know, you know, I'd, and I saw a couple others at different times, but you know, they've kind of been going ham with Halloween ones recently. So essentially, everything since uh, Halloween uh, six, I've seen in theaters. So <laughs> I would imagine, I would imagine, I've probably seen more Halloween films in the theaters than I have Friday the Thirteenth without really thinking that long and hard. Um, Halloween was kind of a thing for me and my mom. We used to do that as much as me and my dad saw Star- the new Star Trek movies that were coming out. Ah. Um, and then, of course, the zombie films, I saw those in the theater. And, and of course, the last three, you know, trilogy, we saw those in the theater. Yeah. When it comes to Friday, I'm just going to take a guess. Uh, I mean, 3 and 3D, that was the first one I ever saw in the theater. Uh, the final chapter I saw in the theater. Uh, yeah, I have five, A New Beginning. I hated that, absolutely hated it <laughs> at, at the time, at the time as a kid. Yep. Uh, I felt like felt like Jason got punked there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> by the imposter. <laughs> um, and then six, I was very happy to see six and seven. Seven, I don't think I can. I don't know if I saw Manhattan in the theater. 
I might have just missed that one. That would have might. I think the next Jason I saw in the theater was probably the remake. Yeah. I think so. But then Halloween, I mean, so I would imagine Halloween is, uh, and, uh, I'm trying to think, did Leatherface never got a theatrical, right? Um, no. No, I didn't. I would imagine I would have saw that in the theater had I had a chance, but I don't recall having a chance, so. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Texas Chainsaw, I saw part four in the theater. Pity me. Because I deserve pity for having seen that in the theater. And I saw uh, the remake, and I saw 3D. Yeah. So let's just say my uh, Texas Chainsaw uh, history and theatrical releases hasn't exactly been the greatest. <laughs> I'm um, pretty good. To, to go back quickly on that uh, Godzilla movie I was thinking of, it was uh, Godzilla vs. Megaguris. Ah, yes, that one. Yeah. That's a fun flick. <laughs> Anything else on the horizon uh, in terms Exorcist. of... Hmm. Uh, the Exorcist? Oh, yeah. Uh, Exorcist remake. Well, is it... I don't, I don't think you even consider it a remake anymore. I think it's a requel. Probably. Because I know um, they've said Linda Blair's going to be in it, so huh. I'm down for that. You know, and um, whatever her name was who played her mother, I can never remember her name. Um, well, David Gordon Gordon Green is directing it. Yeah. It's supposed to come out sometime in September. I hope it's I hope it's good, honestly. Um the Exorcist is one of those those movies that you know. I'll say you shouldn't touch it, but it's one of those ones also that could be well done if done right. It's supposed to be the first of three. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> Halloween. I want to know what what is it with with trilogies now. It's like everything that's coming out, it's like, oh, this is the first of three movies. It's like, damn you. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we we could have a neat conversation about uh, in terms of um, loosely connected trilogies. You know, I wish uh, I wish Joe D'Amato would have had the foresight to realize how important at the time it was to knock out just one more project with George Eastman and maybe we could be talking about the Diamato uh, loosely connected trilogy that is uh, Anthropophagus absurd and whatever the third one would have been yeah um you know which Halloween there was, Rob Zombie huh Halloween Rob Zombie we were so close to having a really interesting trilogy he's so freaky mm-hmm. man we need to get off that subject um um <laughs> uh, uh well you know the one I often think about which is sort of Loosely connected to our main topic tonight is uh, uh, would have would have would have what would have happened if DeAngelis would have um, been extremely uh, uh, you know moved on uh, Fulci to do an immediate follow up to Zombie. I mean, mm. what what would have became of that? Would that would have become a, a, a franchise or three films? Uh, 
at least. Instead, he he went and did zombie uh, zombie Holocaust. Yeah. But then we got the Gates of Hell trilogy, so. I honestly, I wonder if they if if Fulci hadn't like you know pushed it, whether Zombie would have been considered part of his you know Gates of Hell trilogy. You know, I hear people say that from time to time, but I don't. I get it, but I don't like to think about it in those terms. Yeah, because it's. I don't look at the Gates of Hell trilogy as. I don't look at them. I know, you know, the Beyond and City, you know, we can, you know, people invoke the, the zombie term in, but those, that, that trilogy has more to do with, uh, Lovecraft than anything else. That's true. And zombie just is sort of, um, I think zombie is a perfect setup into that world. It's just not really part of that world. Yeah. City is like a city is like a remake, but it's like he it's kind of like a Sam when he redid uh, Evil Dead Two. So mm. Fulci basically redid that. No, I would say most of it is the music because it's like the theme for City is like reverse of a zombie. You know how it's dialed and whatnot. Mm. So, oh yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder. It really does. <laughs> I love the uh, loosely connected trilogies. I might like those better than actual trilogies. Oh, well, yeah, the good thing about those is, you know, they just have to be almost, like, stylistically similar or, sh- or share just enough of a, a theme, but not necessarily yeah. a plot. Like the Ice Cream Trilogy. Oh, yeah. Shopping Dead, Hot Pies, uh, World's End. Yeah. That was what it was called. Yeah, honestly, those those were some good movies. I like The World's End. No one ever talks about yeah. it, but you know, good. good I bought I bought a uh, Hot Fuzz one time. Well, one mm-hmm. time I still have it. Um, and when I got it, the disc was like all like there was a bunch of junk and whatnot on it. I don't know if it's cleaned or not yet. I just don't know if it'll work or not. Well, you know, it, it probably will. True true story. I saw me and my wife saw Hot Fuzz in the movie theater. Yeah. And got all the way to the very end. And uh, we were about probably 1.5 seconds from the mask coming off, revealing the killer. Mm-hmm. And as a result of a uh, severe thunderstorm, we lost power. Oh, man. It literally was about 1.5 seconds that, that everyone was in frame. The, they were about to, I don't know, I can't remember if it was it, was it, uh, uh, Sean that was about to pull the mask away? I think so. I, I, yeah, but it, the mask was about, like, in Scooby-Doo style, the mask was about to come off. And we were kind of like, both of us kind of lurched up like, who's the killer? And all of a sudden, boom, black. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone kind of sat there like, is this part of the movie? Uh, you know, until uh, the theater guy finally came in and said, we're sorry, folks, we're going to have to refund your ticket. I'm like, you, of all the sticking times for the power to go out, literally. It's like, get a get a generator up there, start it up, 
you know, finished the movie. We had to walk out of the theater not knowing who the killer was seconds before it was revealed. Oh, that's just wrong. Could you imagine if that happened to you? If you went to see, uh, if you went to Stays and went to go see Deep Red in the movie theater without having oh. ever, ever seen it before, but you're seeing it on the big screen as a throwback. Mm-hmm. And you're right there at the very end and something happens and the screen goes black and you just, that would be horrible. Oh, it would. That would be one of those things you'd be like, like, damn it, on the way home I'm going to have to like find a, somewhere that sells it and buy a physical copy so I can watch it. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't have to talk about it, really, but uh, but I, we do have uh, that new spinoff of uh, Walking Dead with Daryl coming, too, in December, is it, maybe? Uh, I think so, from what I've heard, yeah. Um, I did see uh, I did see an image released where uh, apparently he goes into a cathedral or something. And there's a whole bunch of dead nuns. Well, that's kind of cool. Spooky. I mean, that's that's something you know. I, I've said before with The Walking Dead, I had no real interest in it really as a show. But no. I think I'll the problem spooky, was, man. I'll tell you what's spooky for imagery. Yeah. Because I know they're probably just stealing from uh, uh, the nun. Yeah. But in the end of um, Burial Ground, the monks. Mm-hmm. You remember the monks at the end of Burial Ground? Oh, yeah. Dude, that was, that was kind of creepy, man. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing, you know. Like, when it comes, like, people seem to forget, you know, that you can actually make things, like, creepy and scary, you know? Like, it, it seemed to me with, like, The Walking Dead, for example, they seemed to forget that zombies could be scary. Not just gross, not just, you know, kind of cool looking. With that, be, with that being said, you want to get into the main course? Yeah, for sure. Unintended? Yeah. <laughs> Feed, feed, get ready to feed. How do you want to introduce this stuff? I got, I happen to have an IMDb uh, synopsis on hand. You want me to just read it? Yep. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. So, guys, we are, uh, really, it is the body bags, uh, three from body bags. We got uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday reviewers for body bags, but this is also the Graveyard Shit Podcast, uh, minus Will, unfortunately, is not with us tonight. Um but we're going to talk about, it's sort of my idea, I guess, um, to talk about Dawn of the Dead and the three main cuts of it. Probably not that deep, I would imagine, but the three cuts uh, that 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 movie is known for. Uh, the remake uh, that came, that Snyder's, uh, you know, but assuming uh, that everyone has seen George A. Romero, probably considered by many, and I wouldn't argue with him, those who feel like it is the best zombie film ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily argue with them, although my opinion is slightly just uh, a little off. Um, <laughs> but uh, we can get into that at the, at, at the appropriate time. But uh, a little bit of a synopsis. I always find it funny. Uh, you never know what you're going to get off an IMDb, and this is uh, one that looks like to be not too bad here. Uh, following the events of Night of the Living Dead, um, 68, we follow the exploits of our four survivors of the expanding zombie apocalypse as they take refuge in an abandoned shopping mall following a horrific SWAT evacuation of an apartment complex 
taking stock of their surroundings. They arm themselves, lock down the mall, destroy the zombies inside so they can eke out a living. At least for a while, tensions begin to build as months go on, and they come to realize that they've fallen prey to consumerism. Soon afterward, they even... Uh, soon afterward, they have even heavier problems to worry about as a large gang of bikers discovers the mall and seeks to invade it. I'll just end there, I guess. Um, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, George A. Romero's follow-up to Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, ex- first, first time experience. Uh, when, when did you first? When did you first see this, Glenn? If you remember, For, I I can remember. Very well, actually, the first time I saw it. Um, slight preface. I'd seen um, uh, Tom Savini, Master of Horror Effects, the, the Fangoria Scream Greats Volume 1 video. And, you know, I'd seen th- seen the stuff in it about, like, Day of the Dead and everything, and, 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 and you know, bits, bits from Dawn or whatever. So I was down in the States, actually. I was over... Uh, Cross the border, and I was in a mall, and I was just, you know, just looking, and I saw it right there on VHS, Dawn of the Dead, and I just remember uh, it saying on the back, it was like, um, like a savagely satanic version of America or whatever, or something like that. That was like the quote, and I remember just thinking, like, okay, I've seen stuff on Scream Greats. I want, I, I want this movie. So I, I bought it in a heartbeat right there. And when I got home, uh, you know, literally about like four days later, because we were on like a little holiday or whatever, put it in, watched it, loved every second of it, and have never looked back since. But which version was it you saw? It was the theatrical version. You know, uh... This was actually at a point where that's all you could get. You know, the European cut uh, didn't even know it existed. Um, the extended cut had no clue. And, you know, the ultimate Monroeville version was like a... <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one. You know, but um, such good movie. Even at even at the time when I when I saw it, I was just kind of like, they like this is something special. You know, every now and then you see a movie and you just know that you you've witnessed something that's unique, and this was one of those films. Um, the first time I can remember, it was either. The, um, I'm pretty sure it was either the uh, Italian version or the theatrical, mainly because of the main menu. <laughs> you know, the Italian had this, the half skull, half, um, you know, this, the weird face yeah. with eyes moving, and the theatrical's main menu had the, the U.S. theatrical on the top of it. Um, but I do remember it was black and white. So watching nope. it, so you know, watching that was like, hey, this looks like it just, you know, it's like they made it right after night. And then you know, find out it was, you know, like six, seven years later, but you know, still. Um, 
So, yeah, it was pretty cool watching it in black and white for the first time. It felt a little more real, I guess, watching it because, you know, you don't see the colors and whatnot. Hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna have to give that a shot. <laughs> Can you remember why we watched it uh, in black and white? I think, well, I don't know why, why you, because it was like, it was, it was you that was putting them on and whatnot, and it, my guess was that from like how we, how I started watching horror movies in general, it was like the old Universal Monsters in the 60s, 70s, 80s kind of thing, going upward, right, until like, you know, it, from tame to lame, I'm just kidding, um, but um, I think it's probably because at the time, I was watching black and white movies, so to introduce something like Dawn, it would be through black and white lens. That was my guess, but that was, like, a long time ago. So, but I remember that, watching that in black and white for the first time. I was like, this is pretty cool. And he's like, actually, this is a colored movie. He's like, what? Crazy, you can make the TV go black and white. It, it is pretty fantastic in black and white. Um, you, if you, yeah, Glenn, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it in black and white. Um, I, my memories go back. Oh man, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I would imagine this came up on HBO mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, I'm trying. I'm probably thinking. I don't know, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, something maybe. I remember we 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 taped it off of back in the day when you taped stuff off on VHS. Mm-hmm. We had a tape, and I re- I really wish I would have I don't know I wish I would have kept this because um, it probably ended up getting chucked at some point. But we had it was the uh, uh, the Super Bowl was on there with Chicago uh, and the New England Patriots. From way back in the day, when uh, Jim McMahon was on there and everything, um, and so it was the Super Bowl, Dawn of the Dead, and something else was on that videotape. <laughs> and I can't remember the act of taping it off, but I remember maybe my dad said, "Oh, I got uh, taped," or maybe I made him tape it off of there on top on there. And uh, and so I think even before I rented it. The first time I started watching it was it having been taped off on a tape from probably I would imagine HBO or something. Mm. Um, and so uh, and so yeah, it's um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't it, you know Dawn of the Dead. It's weird. It's it's it was there, but when I when I find when I actually fell into the whole Italian trap, mm-hmm. I actually remember. Um, being uh you know a little bit more um amazed with um you know and this is going to sound funny now but as a kid watching like hell uh, Matthias hell of the living dead mhm i think it's just that whole jungle thing going on an yeah. island jungle and it just you know as a kid it was just like this is more you know more but i think dawn for me sort of over time found its place in my life Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, initially, it wasn't like, um, oh, this is a favorite horror movie of mine. It was just, I think it just quietly sort of made its way into my life and then found its home and then established itself. And 
for the longest time, I mean, I considered it, you know, the my number one go to the greatest zombie film ever. Mm. Uh, I don't really think quite like that right now. Um, for me, <laughs> I think Lucio Fulci's uh, zombie just just ekes it out a, a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but going into our conversation, we'll have about the cuts. Uh, I, you know, I found myself at least watching the extended cut. I found myself not rethinking, but at least reexamining how I see those two, how I see these two movies. Mm. Cause I think, I do think whatever, whatever your position is, I think zombie, I think Dawn of the Dead are the easily two of the greatest zombie films ever made in history. Easily. Easily. That means yeah. you, you can discuss which one ekes out the other, and for whatever reason, I mean, for me, I don't, I think it's the jungle horror, I think it's the voodoo, I think it's the aesthetics, I think it's, uh, uh, uh Gino De Rossi's work, um, uh, the aesthetics of the zombies, um, but as we talk about the cuts, uh, there's something about just, uh, I don't know, Dawn is, uh, yeah, what a freaking great movie Dawn is. Um, Definitely. But anyways, the cuts, there is the, uh, so you have the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. you've got the cons or extended cut, Yep. you've got Argento's cut, Yep. or the European cut, uh, and talk about that for a second. Uh, and it's funny, you know, a lot of people outside of our circles, and I mean like way outside of our circles, uh, I think really get confused when they start hearing people talk about this stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, George, uh, George is, you know, not really thinking about fo- doing a follow up tonight, but him and the short end, I guess, is him and Dario have a conversation and Dario says, come on to Italy, come on, come on over to Rome, spend some time with me, write your script, I'll pay for it. And uh, <laughs> so he hammers off the script over there and uh, Dario, you know, finances uh, his film and uh, with the uh, agreement that uh, he will have distribution rights in Europe, and therefore he can cut, re-edit the film Therefore, that they are gentle cut, mm-hmm. um, and so he will have distribution rights over it in in Europe. And as sort of, kind of a result, doesn't hurt. Uh, zombies coming along about the same time, mm-hmm. and so while you know, uh, while Dawn is marketed as zombie, um, the brainchilds of uh, Italian marketing will. Uh, we'll call Fulci's film Zombie 2. Yep. And uh, and so you have this uh, relationship between the two, but um, we'll talk about Argento's cut, but um, Argento will edit, he will edit that film. Mm-hmm. While Romero edits his film, of course, with, uh, I think, you know, I was closely looking at the credits. I was I watched the theatrical cut today and I was really closely watching the credit listing to see how many times Dario Argento's name actually comes up in the original casting list mm-hmm. at, or credits list at the end. Yeah, I also would say I counted his name three times. Mm-hmm. He was uh, in, I think twice it had to do with music 
for the soundtrack, and once it had to do with supervisory role over the script. Hmm. So it seems to me, you know, by and large, this is this is George A. Romero's film. I mean, oh yeah, it is his film. This is you know, and Dario wouldn't have it any other way, I would imagine. But um, Dario probably, since the agreement is to release it in Europe. Uh, and he will be in charge of that. Uh, of that, I would imagine, um, creatively speaking, I would imagine you know he probably had a few things to say to George and, and what the script completely looked at at the end. Mm. Um, but also in there too is the whole issue of the score and the use of Goblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, or lack of use of goblin, depending on what cut you're you're talking about. <laughs> um, so um, I I don't know. So I guess you know what what do you what what sort of um, Glenn your sort of make out of just this part of it? Yeah the the Argento thing it was it was a really kind of weird situation, but it's a weird. Oh, okay, that was hilarious. Rob, you just took a drink right when our boy Ken Faree took a drink. No way. Exact same moment. It was, it was, that was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, um, it's a strange situation, but it's a, it's a strange situation that has seemed to have worked out because they're very different movies, even though, you know, it's all like you know the same footage and everything there there's a big difference in feel between George's movie and Dario's version mainly Dario's Dario's one feels more like just like a straight horror movie where George's version is more how can i put it there's more like there's more like overt comedy, I'll say that, but there's also more like I feel like more I guess you could say social commentary. You know, I, I didn't get the same level of like, you know, like consumerism and everything in the Argento cut that I did I do in the theatrical or the extended cut. You know, it it plays it plays straighter, I wanna say. And also we have to say, um Dario's ending is much more Italian. You know, much more left up in the air, like what's going on. Um I don't know which I prefer. But, you know. Is what it is. <laughs> so I liked, I like Goblin's music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like the two or three, like it's like okay, it's like the two or three songs they got, and then that song when the biker gang shows up. Mm-hmm. And like I like it, right? You know, listening to it once or twice. But like when you're when that's the only like soundtrack you're listening to the entire movie, which is two hours long. Mm. It gets, you know, it gets a little bit too much. Like, by the time the movie was over, I was like, 
Well, soundtrack was the same thing over and over. Even like the biker song that played twice when the bikers were getting there, and then when Ken was breaking out, it was like that, that's the same song. Yeah. Um, the only the thing though I do really like about it is that in the beginning, um, the uh, hotel, the apartment scene. Mm-hmm. Um, if some of that was like some all right, so there's the theatrical. And then it feels like in this, some uh, footage was added to it, mm-hmm. and uh, the dialogue that priest feels a little bit longer. Like whether it's one or two sentences, it feels a little bit longer. In which mm-hmm. case, it's like okay, that's pretty cool. But I'm I like music and horror movies to be a little bit vast and different, and I don't mind hearing a theme in it like once or twice. But when it's like the only thing that's going on, it's like okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So do we know, like, why did Dario edit the film himself? Like, he's credited for editing his cut that will get distri- uh, distribu- uh, distributed in Europe. Why wouldn't he have looked to, like, his long-time editor... Fredicelli, who did a lot of his stuff, I mean, right up through 87 with opera, mm-hmm. uh, he did Suspira for him. It, I, I wonder why Dario didn't have somebody like that who he worked with. Because, see, I feel like, I feel like the, the biggest weakness to Dario's cut is his editing. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, mean I, I I have a theory as to why he did it. Oh yeah, yeah, de- definitely, Sam. Uh, the what? the helicopter scene is missing. Oh yeah, yeah well, and, the helicopter scene. But I mean, we, we talk about straight horror. We talk about his cut being leaving out all the comedic stuff, but the blood pressure sequence is is still in there, and the pie sequence is in there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, That's true. It, there's, I, 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 here's how I look at this, and I've been thinking about this the last few days. It's like, you know, R- Romero was an awesome editor. He knew how to edit his own work mm-hmm. to perfection. Don might be one of the greatest pieces of editing of, of most or any film out there. Mm-hmm. It's got that that documentary feel without it being a documentary. It's it's just it's it's like and and, you know and I mean work with the extended even the extended cut. It just feels like well if you're looking at the theatrical cut, it's like a perfectly paved road. Mm -hmm. It's smooth. It travels smooth. The corners aren't very tight. They're almost perfect. It, it, it is almost like the most perfectly it, it, it perfectly made road to, yeah. to drive on. You, the extended is just as good, but maybe the uh, maybe it's a little bit more. It's just got maybe a little bit more width to, to the to the the of the, the road span mm-hmm. in places. But it's like with the Argento cut, it's like. It's like a, he went in there with a with a I don't know with like a 
hammer of something and just and just chopped it all up. And it just mm. feels like it's I don't know. It just doesn't. It feels like when you watch the Argento cut first, and then you let's say go right into the extended cut. Mm. It's like you're. It's like you've just left a, a a road full of potholes, and now you're actually on traveling, driving on a really smooth road. You, yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I've always had a theory about why Dario edited it. I think it's going to sound kind of mean spirited to say this, but I think he wanted a, on a bigger paycheck. What? Well, I, I think you know he, he you know it's it's listed as he's the editor of it so you know I wonder he probably how, gets a bigger percentage of the of the royalties or whatever. I wonder if it has to do to with well like what you're saying. I, I wonder if it has to do with just the agreement. Maybe George said, "Look, you can have it to distribute, and, and but you have to edit it." It, it could be if he. <laughs> If he would have brought in someone like Fredicelli, it it would have really tampered with the film. And maybe in, in the fact that someone other than Dario, maybe the agreement that has to be between Fredicelli, say, I'm just saying Fredicelli, with Romero. Yeah, could be. It's I don't know. It's weird that he, because, I mean, I if you look at Argento's e- editing, Credits. I think there's only two films. One of them being Dawn. Um, What's the other one? I'm, I'm looking here. Um, uh, filmography uh, writer. Let me see here. Uh, editing, actually, editing, editing, editor. Um, let me see here. Uh, yeah, putting that uh, helicopter scene was a crime against humanity. <laughs> yeah, how does he leave that out? I think it was purely it was too funny. I guess it wasn't as funny, or I guess the uh, the um, the uh, arm pressure was a uh, not that funny. Yeah, like, if I had to compare the arm pressure and the helicopter. In my opinion, the arm pressure is a lot more funnier because it's like, why are you testing that out? Like, <laughs> yeah, zombies around, you're gonna test to see how much blood you got or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and that's like he is like earlier in the movie or early in the movie when they're first there he does it and the guy's like hey, why are you doing that for you don't need to do that and he's like oh fine I won't do it and then like when the zombies are trying to take over he's like oh I gotta do it before we go <laughs> yeah <sighs> oh, I'm not I'm not I'm not seeing enough for some stupid reason um But I know he's uh, actually Dario's in the and IMDb. He's uncredited, but we know he recut. I mean, he recut it to his liking for, for Europe. Um, and we know the Argento cut is extremely heavy goblin, where the extended cut that went to cons is hardly any goblin, mostly the library tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the theatrical is a little bit more balanced between what you know how Goblin is used and the library tracks, which Argento just dispenses with all the library tracks and just lets Goblin have most of it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's funny watching the extended cut. And this is this sounds almost sort of blasphemous, but I guess I'll preface it with saying I think the greatest score ever put to any horror film in history is probably Goblin's Suspira. Oh, yeah. I'd say that loving Frizzy's work on City of the Living Dead, I think that is a phenomenal score, but there is something about Goblin's work on Suspira that is in its own world. Um, oh, yeah. But saying that now, watching the extended cut, I didn't really miss it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know. I think it, it also comes down to, like, what you saw to begin with. You know? Like, my favorite cut is, is the theatrical cut, because that's the first one I saw. Uh-huh. You know, like if you saw it in Europe, you saw the European cut. So, you know, maybe to someone over there, that's their favorite cut. You know, I don't know. I just love the fact that, you know, these cuts exist. Yes. Well, thank thank God for Anchor Bay and its ultimate edition that was released uh Oh yeah. God, when was it released that uh was it four four D V D box? Yep. I wonder how much that costs now. I got it for seven ninety nine. <laughs> last week. <laughs> um I mine was like what did I tell you, Glenn? Was it tw- ten bucks or twelve bucks and change? I think it was ten. Yeah, ten bucks and change off of Amazon. That was uh yeah, that was uh would you say uh last time you checked was like eighty five or something for the Some something like that, yeah. For, um Second Sites basically just took the Anchor Bay template and worked it to a four K release. I mean, I think there's a few other extras on the supplemental disc, including yeah. Anchor Bay stuff, but uh the four K cut of it is absolutely fantastic. It is <laughs> It looks absolutely out of this world. Um, and it what's neat is the, um, the menu screen is in black and white. Oh, nice. And which is really kind of interesting. And it's funny, uh, you know, Tom, I didn't know this, but Tom, you know, Tom was actually supposed to do the makeup for Night of the Living Dead, but he couldn't because of the tour he was about to do in Vietnam. Oh. So he actually was supposed to do night, but couldn't. But when he got back, George hit him up with um, uh, with the with Dawn, and of course we know as Savannah's career would be catapulted um, from that point forward as a result of his work on there. Um, but apparently he uh, he says too that he. Um, he actually, the makeup on the zombies is actually gray toned, uh, in light of the fact that the original film was done in black and white. But the uh, the color, the shooting of the film, makes his makeup look more blue tinted. Yeah, it, it's it's always kind of interesting because it's one of the it's one of the more unique zombie looks in in like the history of zombie looks, really. You know, I mean, can you think of any other zombie that looks like the ones from from Dawn? 
maybe Sean. Yeah, may- maybe. You know, but it's one of those things. It's like I don't, I don't know. There's a charm to it. You know, I mean, well, do they look as dead as the ones in day? No. <laughs> You know, not at all. But, like I said, there, there's a charm, and it just... I've always thought this. I've always thought, like, the zombies in Day are ones that, like, you know, would be a genuine threat. The zombies in Dawn always seem to me like they you could you could get away with believing that they weren't a threat. Yeah. So I guess well, they think, not a threat until the writer says so. Yeah, true. <laughs> it seems like you can more easily manage your way through uh, the world that is dawn than you could maybe day. But even then, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's they do seem as long as you don't get stupid or in, in Roger's case, too cocky. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, and that's funny too, you know, watching it the last few times, the different cuts, I think, you know, I probably, I, I probably like the extended cut just a smidgen over the theatrical with the Argento being last, mm. uh, which almost seems blasphemous for my love for Italian cinema. You would just <laughs> think I would just lunge at the Argento cut, but I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't appreciate his work as editor on, uh, how he cut this film. Um, in fact, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, this is the shortest cut. It's It only runs 119 minutes. And it probably has more in common with the films of, um, oh, Bruno Matai, you know, the, or the, Lindsay, when they were doing those uh, Euro crime action um, Mm-hmm you know, films. This this feels more like that actually. His cut feels more in line with that than it does um you know, because often when you hear people invoke Argento it's oh well that's the more straight horror cut. No, for mm-hmm. me I think it's more the more action set piece. Yeah. It, you know, if it's you like, watch um, a, a Cannibal Apocalypse, I mean mm-hmm. That is a nice blend of some horror, but also really beautiful action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the flea market sequence, the, the Vietnam sequence, um, the sewer sequence at the end. Um, it almost feels like Argento's cut has more in line with that stuff than it does to say that. From what I know, that's what he was going for. It was, was focusing more, like, more action, horror, like, more... I almost want to say his cuts an exploitation film. Yeah. Feels where, more, yeah. yeah, where where George's is more like, you know, has something to say. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Either, you know, <laughs> love me a good exploitation film and everything, but you know. I think um I think our the Argento cut of Dawn runs well with a double feature of say uh with uh Cannibal Apocalypse. Mm. I think that would be a great double feature if that if that's what you're what you're wanting in the moment. Yeah. Um, 
It's uh, it's funny. The obviously the extended cuts, the longest driven cut, 139 minutes, and the theatricals that perfect 127. Mm-hmm. It's probably it is probably the perfect cut. Um, but I do love the extended just because of the little bit more um, uh, character uh, character being fleshed out. Some of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, the time we spend with them. Um, you know, I don't know. I had a specific thought in my head, but um, I was thinking uh, earlier when I was watching the theatrical. I was thinking, how isn't it interesting? Okay, well, for, okay. Here's one thing I had in my mind earlier. Okay, so a lot, a lot sometimes is said of um, you know, the uh, the apartment complex scene when Wooly is throwing his uh, his um. Is sort of race baiting. <laughs> oh yeah, the Puerto Ricans, you know. And uh, but I, isn't it funny that it's um, Peter's the one who kills him? Yeah. <laughs> isn't that isn't that funny? I thought about that today. It's it's you know because I was listening to someone else talk about Don and they were all they were just you know hating on Wooly for you know God that was some hard stuff to to listen to. And I'm just thinking, but they never mentioned the fact that it was Peter who actually kills him in the apartment. <laughs> and, you know, it's Roger who asks uh, asks Peter to come along, which is interesting because if Stephen had his way, he probably wouldn't have come along. Yeah. But he's he is there. He is sort of like there. He, he is like reason for yeah. all of I mean, he is the he is the calm approach to, and it's funny that even Stephen has to nag on Fran to come along. And who are the survivors? Peter and Fran. Yeah. And <laughs> it's also pretty funny that you know he Peter you know so Peter kills that one racist guy, and then Peter ends up killing another racist guy later on. You know, at the end of the movie, towards the end, uh, killing Tom Savani. Tom Savani mm-hmm. called him a chocolate man. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> that that line, man. I, was I always talk when I hear that, man. I always think you you know, um, George was probably like you know yo say say something racist to him, and like Tom was just kind of like chocolate man. Like that's, that's like the you know kind of the best he could come up with. He was just like no, like I don't want to, I don't want to go too far. I don't want people to hate me. But that on seventy eight's a different world, you know. Yeah. Nobody, nobody was walking out of there, you know, thinking in these terms. No. Nobody. I mean, most of the people seeing this movies were at a drive-in. Yeah. I mean, they're. Not, I mean, it's not like today at all. It's it's even, and the thing maybe people back then though would have been uh, pretty quick on the fact that. Oh, that's fine. Wooly, Wooly was Wooly, but you know he got his head. Well, I mean, he got shot off. But I was thinking he took his head off, but he didn't. He took the person that he opened that kicked in the door. He took that head off. That that always makes me laugh when you realize that that's Fran's head. What? You didn't know that? I don't know if I did. When he kicks the door open and, and blows that head off, the well, you you've you've heard of the original what the original ending was, right? The original ending planned for uh, Fran to get out on the side of the helicopter, stand up, and get her head cut off. 
because she was going to commit suicide because everyone else had like died. You know, um, Peter was going to shoot himself in the head and she was going to do that. They ended up not going with it. So they reused that head appliance and essentially they painted it black and put a wig on it and made it that head that he blows up at the beginning. I no. think they they put in that scene where he kicked open the door and shot and shot just so they could make a use for that head. It's pretty funny when you think about it. Huh, that is that is pretty funny. You know, I was thinking watching the theatrical cut today, I thought, you know, the, the, the scene where they're in the bank mm-hmm. in the mall there, um, and they do that last that last frame where they hold up their money in front of the camera. Oh yeah. That still shot and then from that point to um Fran saying um what have we become what what have we made of ourselves or that line yeah. that that she gives that whole that oh, that is just to see the evolution of just the time they spend in the mall the things they do in the mall and here's a question why do you think Fran says no uh to Steven's uh proposal hmm because she was a bum. Can't believe her. <laughs> Steven might be alive right now. Well. No. Then he went fun. He went ape. Ape. Crap. I, I think it was just probably, you know, like, what's the point? We're, in the, we're living in the zombie apocalypse. What's the point? You think she uh, saw too much of his own, uh, of his inadequacies? His inability to really uh i think she saw him becoming one of the boys and realizing that being one of the boys was more important to him than her i mean you know when when you think about it like whenever anything bad happens to her in the entire movie he's never there yeah you know um well, Peter's Peter, Peter, and, and for a large degree, I mean, I guess Roger, both of them are carrying Stephen along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Roger sort of has his quick, you know, well, not even really quick. Again, depending on your cut, if you're watching the theatrical or the or the extended cut, Rod, Roger is slowly, but, but quickly, slowly unwinding until mm. he makes those very bad errors and then you know unfortunately he's you know he's bit um but if you watch the argento cut uh he his the whole treatment of roger is a lot different it's like it doesn't even matter that he got bit yeah because it all happened so quick mm. which, which is kind of again though that goes to what we were saying about the the, the action sequences is mm. what's important here, not you know, it's it's not going to be a character-driven piece that Argento is going to cut. Here's something I want to know. Just watching the scene that's playing behind you, um, how does that kill him? Him getting shot in the shoulder? Well, it doesn't. He gets bit by the zombies in the elevator. Yeah. So is it actually the bite that kills him? Then well, do you think? It was like two or three bites though. When his leg and yeah. his arm or his neck, his neck, he got bit. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's <laughs> I love it how Peter gets the vanny. I love it. 
Oh, yeah. That's such a great shot. And that doofus right there. I don't know why I don't like him at all. From what I know, the interesting thing, uh, you know, this is a real biker gang, you know. Really? Yeah, they're not actors. They hired a biker gang, and they ended up having to pay $50,000 to the mall because they ruined the floor (laughs) by driving around and putting marks on it. So they had to essentially buy them a new floor because this biker gang just screwed up their floor. Quick question, quick question. The leader of uh, the biker gang, is he related to Willie? Or Yeah, Willie. Or is he Willie? Willie survived? Or like, what is it? Because that's the same actor. Yeah. Uh, or is his twin brother? I think that might be it. Yeah, I'll say twin brother. <laughs> Willie and Wally. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting note. Listen to this real quick. Dawn of the Dead is one of the best horror films ever made. And as an inis inescapable result one of the most horrifying it is gruesome sickening disgusting violent brutal and appalling it is also excuse me for a second while i find my other list brilliantly crafted funny droll and savagely merciless in its satiric view of the american consumer society nobody ever said art had to be in good taste who do you think said that I'm going to say... Stephen King. Roger Ebert. Yeah. Was it? I mean... Fantastic. He gave it a fantastic review, man. Cause, yeah, I know, I know he... I knew that he'd gave it, given it a good review, but, you know, knowing how Roger Ebert was, I can definitely see, you know, the... <laughs> you know, he has to have, like, his his barbs out for a bit of it, doesn't he? Um, he does give it a really fantastic review, though. Um, um, what is he said towards the end? I think he's, um, well, even towards the end of the review, he says, but even so, you may be asking, how can I defend this depraved trash? I do not defend it. I praise it. And it is not depraved, although some reviews have seen it that way. It is about depravity. Well, yeah. He goes on to say, if you can see beyond the immediate impact of Romero's imagery, if you can experience the film as being more than just as violent extremes, a most unsettling thought may occur to you. The zombies in Dawn of the Dead are not the ones who are depraved. They are they are only acting according to their nature, and gore dripping from their jaws are blameless. Mm-hmm. Um, the depravity is in the healthy survivors, and the true immorality comes as to... Bands of human survivors fight each other for the shopping center. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, uh, and, and I won't read it, but uh, I, his review for the remake mm-hmm. wasn't near as severe as you would you would think it would be. <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting. I, although, although. He definitely uh, he puts it well underneath the level of Romero's work. Um, it is interesting though what he. Uh, it is funny how he's he's having to remind his normal readers um, why he's defending it or why he's you know giving it high marks mm-hmm. um, because a lot of his readers 
would have looked the other way or they just would have assumedly called it, you know, trash or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but remember, you know, Rob, Ebert also gave Rob Zombie's Devil's Rejects a good review. Yeah. So. I mean, that that's the thing, you know, sometimes he would be fair about a movie, a horror movie. Uh, sometimes he wouldn't. I think it had to, I think a lot had to do with what, what substantively, what was in the film. Yeah. Was there substance? Was there, was there something going on? Was there something more than just, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I know I seem to be a Roger Ebert apologist these days, but I just, (laughs) I mean, he does get a lot of hate. And every time you mention his name, a lot of eyes do roll. And I, I I Mm. think, uh, uh, I think, uh, it's good. It's good to see when he does really, you know, give something high, high marks. Yeah. Um, Especially when it's something that deserves it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so, anyways, uh, did we go around real quick? Um, Sam, what's your favorite cut? The uh, original, but it's not because it's the first. It's not because it was the first one I watched. It's because of all the um, of how the music is uh, used. Like in the very beginning, when the title card and it's like bah, and it slowly goes to like the theme or whatever. And then, like, later on, um, when zombified Peter, or not Peter, uh, zombified Steven comes out of the elevator, and that, like, bum, or whatever, it turns on, I think that's, like, the only version where, like, something like that happened. So, mm-hmm. mostly just how the music was used. I like the original the best because of that. So, the theatrical, then? And yeah. Then, and then what? Then the um, extended, and then the uh, Italian. What? Same. Ex- exactly the same. <laughs> you know, uh, the it's one of the few times where I found, like, a theatrical cut is what... I th- well, let's put it this way. I think it's one of the few times where a theatrical cut is what the director wanted. And since this was released unrated back in the day, you know... True. It was, you know, this was his final cut, and it works, you know, um, it works just great. The extended cut is a good, I, th- I think of it kind of like, you know, the special edition of Alien? Yeah. You know, sort of the same thing. It's a, It's like a fun novelty, but it's not, it's not canon as far as I'm concerned. You know, and uh, the Argento cut is lost. It, it's it's okay. Don't get me wrong. Well, let's put it this way: any version of Dawn of the Dead you can see is a good version of Dawn of the Dead. Even was, you know, even the worst version is still, you know, it's still a superior film. So yeah. <laughs> Before I, I I rewatched the theatrical cut, I would have said easily it's the extended theatrical Argento. Mm-hmm. Having revisited the theatrical cut today, well, I'm telling you those the the theatrical and the extended are, are so close. 
and then seemingly I thought the Argento cut was way far behind. I don't, I don't mm. quite. I now I think I think I'm going to go with the theatrical with the extended right there with it. Mm. Um, I think if you just want that little bit more, yeah, throw, you throw it in the extended. If not, the theatrical is a per is it, almost masterfully edited. It's it's. It is, it is, it is gotta be, arguably one of the best, if not the best, um, and how you, to your personal taste is, a zombie films ever. And maybe, maybe it's Romero's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Argento Cut, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite as bad as I, as I was feeling about it just a day ago. Mm. And I think I re I think I argued my way out of that when I started thinking in 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 along the lines of Matai and Lindsay, and I started thinking like that. Mm. I think because I think if you just look at it for pure horror, if you want to go along with that and say that, then well, no, I think I, I don't because I mean it doesn't make sense. I mean the pie the pie scenes are still in there. The 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 the, the blood pressure thing's still in there. <laughs> um, and, and so, but it just, it just, so much of the cut just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But if you see it through the lens of Matai or Lindsay or any one of these guys in those, it's sort of a throw, for, for Argento, it feels more like a throwback to the Italian action sequence, except it sprinkled some horror in there. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, I mean, that being said, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's a perfect, you know, on a good double feature, watch, you know, Cannibal Apocalypse and then watch the, the Argento cut. Yeah. But if you want to see how a film is masterfully edited and it, and, 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 and has, is filled with a lot of substance, in this case, 70s consumerism, mm-hmm. you, you watch, you watch the master at work, you watch Romero's cut, his theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. One thing I was just thinking, the um, the the independent music, you know, the just the background music that he just pulled out of like some library, mm-hmm. like the original or whatever, and he brought and he took some for uh, this one as well. Um, you know, night and then this. This is thinking you watched. You watched the original, and then you watched this in black and white, the uh, theatrical, and then maybe find some kind of soundtrack. Because I think for day the soundtrack was by like one person. Mm. Um, I might be a little bit off, but I'm pretty sure that was the case for that. And so that's why the soundtrack for that kind of sounds like you know the way it does. But um, if three, <clears throat> if three had like more of like that background random music. From that mm-hmm. light, from like some library, that could probably be like, you know, you watch it all in black and white. One of the best, one of the better trilogies out there. Hmm. Just all the music it being black and white, all kind of feel, feeling like you're watching like one big movie that you know revolves around different people. Because like, Dawn takes place like a couple weeks or whatever after night, and Day is supposed to be like, I don't know, probably some time later, some long time later, like a year mm-hmm. or two. But, like, well, maybe months, I don't know. But just watching all that in black and white, and if they had that background library music, it'd probably be one of those better trilogies just with that really nice mix. Mm. Well, that's, talk about that just for a second. 
um, the time the timeline because I've just assumed the movies take place in the decade they come out in. So night is at the tail end of the sixties. Dawn literally is set in seventy eight, so it takes place in seventy eight. Day is an eighties film, so it really does take place somewhere in the mid eighties. Hmm, could be. That's I mean that's because his comment seems to be on the decade because Romero in the sixties you know maybe talking about racial tension whatnot in the seventies it's consumerism but by the mid eighties it's the military industrial complex. Um, mm-hmm. in in Dawn at the beginning when the two are arguing with each other on TV, one of them says something about how like. Like how it started like three weeks ago and how like how the movie is going with everyone going crazy and uh, it being like in Philly or whatever. And kind of it, it just seemed about right that it, this is like two, three weeks later or at least starts off two, three weeks later. Mm-hmm. What do you think, lad? I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I'm actually just checking right now to see if there's anything. You know, uh, oh, while you're checking, uh, here's something uh, I'm surprised Sam didn't bring up. In the uh, when they're at the hangar, I guess it's the hangar when they're filling up gas in the chopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Peter's in there in that uh, uh, in that in that little building thing, and the and the and he gets molested by the kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think of traditional terms of words, and this is everything's going on today. That's not a good. <laughs> <laughs> but when he gets attacked by those uh, kid zombies, on the door is a note that says, uh, Barbara, to Barbara, meet us in Pittsburgh, Mark. Mm-hmm. I thought I think it would be funny if it was actually uh, a joke involving Barbara from Night. That, that would be that would be kind of funny. Um, from I found this on Reddit, which someone has put in. And it says, um, what this person is basically saying is, uh, Night of the Living Dead is the night of the outbreak. Diary of the Dead is also the, the night of the outbreak. You know, yeah, that's a little, that one's iffy. Dawn is roughly a week later. And Day is roughly uh, a year after night. So how long is uh, uh how long's dawn after night? Uh dawn is roughly a week. Wow. Ac- according to them. According to this, you know. What about land? Land is a decade after night of the living dead. That's what at least that's what this person is saying. I don't know um you know. I don't know how um you know. How much you could take that, you know? I wonder but, what. Uh, I wonder what the uh, timeline for his second go at it because it's like it's night to land, and then he makes a new kind of like modern version of it with diary and survival. Yeah. Or what uh, the timeline for those two are? Uh, yeah. I, uh, hold on. Yeah, for, for I think essentially, I think it's kind of like this. I think it's like think of them as like two separate like entities. 
Night of the Living Dead is the night of the outbreak, and Diary of the Dead is the night of the outbreak. So they're both like the same thing, but different, you know, eras, I guess. And then Survival is roughly, they say, a few months after the the outbreak. Mm. You know, so uh, I guess roughly, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, just a bit after uh, after dawn, I guess it would sit. Any uh before we go into the remake, any other thoughts on uh we could always kinda of trail back if we mm. had, but any other thoughts on uh these three? Um what's your favorite scene from Dawn just in general? Oh favorite scene from Dawn. I'd have to say uh the nun. You know, with, with like getting her like her clothes, or whatever, stuck in the door, and like you know, and her opening the door just enough to let to let it go and everything. You know, I thought that was that was a neat scene. Just that there was, you know, even though it's it's literally a zombie, you know, she still has enough humanity to be like, I'm just gonna let this one go. I think mine is probably the. Um the blood pressure guy. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, there's the guy that is holding that TV. Oh, yeah. And like, 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 what are you going to do with that? <laughs> He's like, I don't know, but just throw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I just, I just love their whole reaction. Like, like everyone, it's like, you know, they, they go into the bank and they take a bunch of money and it's like, well, what are you going to do with it? Hey, they play poker with it. Exactly. <laughs> You never know. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I don't know if this is, I don't think, I don't know if this is my favorite scene per se in terms of entertaining, enter, entertainment quality, but this is the scene I sort of really latched on to the last couple watches, and it's Fran's reaction to Steven when, after she's had her run in with the, uh, uh, with the um, Harry Krishna zombie, yeah, the Harry Krishna zombie. Oh yeah, and, that look. And and Stephen is, you know, Stephen is just sort of, you know, oh this stuff, this place is so great, and all you wait till you see all the stuff that we got. And she's just got this look, like of, you yeah. son of a bitch. It's, like I nearly died, and you're looking for stuff. Yeah, but it's not even that. Is as much as you know what it reminded me of. It reminded me of the look. Almost sort of like, kind of like the look uh, Susan had in her eyes, the girl in zombie when the zombie is rising up, worm worm faces are rising oh, yeah. up and towering over her, and she's just got this this look of absolute terror, like she's she's frozen, she can't move, and the zombie just you know of course he just lunges down and just rips out her throat, but it's that. You know, Susan's look was in the midst of the moment, but but Fran's look is after. Yeah. And it's like she's just left with, like, nothing. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's it's like if she if she had her, like, she doesn't, I don't think she gets her humanity back until she has that, be it last, good moment with Steven and the chopper. 
uh, when he's taught her how to fly and she, she happens to land good. Yeah. And, and she kind of sits there for a minute. She doesn't know what to do. And then she suddenly bursts out laughing yeah. and it's like, you know, it's going to be okay from that point forward. Well, well, there you go. That's why she didn't marry him. Yeah, she I didn't marry him because she was like, like, like I nearly got eaten, and you're like saying how great all this stuff is in this mall. Uh, 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 and, and, and the only thing that doesn't make sense to me, you know, before we leave this movie is, I just don't know how much Peter even flirting with suicide makes sense. I I don't. Yeah, it just seems uh, out of character for him. Well. When uh, when the two are on that date, and then Peter with the bottle goes to uh, the grave, and he's just how he's standing there and whatnot, and then you know at the end it just seems like everything's all lost and whatever. He's like, you know what, I'm just whatever, man. And then he changes his mind right, you know, last second. I just love how he thought, you know, like of all the possible, like they they've had like an armory in that mall, and his last. You know, the thing he's going to kill himself with is a little tiny Derringer. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. It just seemed like uh, a bit of a, like, kind of like, really? Like, that's how you're going to go out? I mean, you used a Magnum on your friend, you know, and you're going to take a little twenty two. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what. I think there's something else going on there, and I don't know. Maybe I should have drawn Romero's commentary track to see if that's even hinted at, but I don't recall there being anything said of it. But it just seems weird that he would. I mean, I mean, look. I mean, Stephen's gone. Fran's pregnant by herself, and she's going to pilot the helicopter by herself without any sort of help. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, the trip out there, I mean, Stephen had to have, you know, had to throw water out of space because he was falling asleep. Yeah. It just it just seemed like his decision making was weird. It was I don't know. It just that's the only part of the entire movie that just feels off to me. And it doesn't even feel that off. It just feels sort of like, why? I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just there for that added bit of. When he changes his mind, we're like, yeah, now we're in it to the end. And, mm. and uh, Peter gets uh, not only the girl, but the baby. Yep. <laughs> Assuming they don't get in a crash because they didn't have that much fuel left anyway. <laughs> Maybe they found an island. Mm. Um, Before we go to the remake, I just want to say the one zombie movie I wish George was able to make that was at least... A, a Call of Duty zombie map was this bad boy right here, Call of the Dead, where you got Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh, Michael Rooker, Danny Trejo, Robert England, all fighting, killing zombies in this lighthouse in Siberia with George oh. coming after them with this big old electric pole trying to kill him. What a classic map. That'd and be pretty cool. Sick too. <laughs> All right, you, you want you want to launch into the remake? Yeah. All right. Um, I'll just give a quick little synopsis, not as long as the other one. Uh, during an escalating zombie epidemic, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his TV executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. Hence, uh, Zack Snyder's 04 
James Gunn Penn uh, remake of perhaps one of the, if not the greatest zombie film ever. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What are, what are, what are some thoughts, roundtable thoughts on the remake in general? Like, this is how you remake a movie. You take the bones of the original and you give it completely new flesh. You know, and it just works. It, you know, like this, the, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Texas Chainsaw, the beginning, you know, both of those did that. They took the, the basics of a story and worked with it. And there's just something to be said for that. You know, and this proves, you know, that, uh, you know, people should, should have like always give Zack Snyder the benefit of the doubt. Just let him do his thing. And and you you get good stuff. I still don't know how I feel about the running zombies, though. Well, they wouldn't really be zombies, though, would they? They would just be infected people? I I think so. One thing I've always thought which would be kind of neat, and it's never really been covered, like at least in the zombie movie that I know of, they sh- they should have some sort of thing like there are stages of zombies. Like when someone first gets infected, they're a runner. So, you know, then as they break down, they get slower and slower until eventually they're just shambling everywhere. It would make sense. That would have been an interesting idea to integrate into this film. Yeah. I mean, because... Don't get me wrong, I love the remake. I think it's one of the... It's one of the better zombie movies of the... I'll say of, like, the... I'll say the current generation of zombies... As, you know, essentially, it kind of, the current generation sort of started with the Dawn remake. You know, and it's it's definitely a high point. You know, so yeah, I saw it. In, I saw it in the theater, and I always remember it was it was kind of funny. There was this guy sat a few uh, rows back, and when the the scene happened with the zombie baby. Dude just broke out laughing. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, as, a, as like, a horror and, like, a zombie fan or whatever, I got why he was laughing. He was like, you know, like, why would that be a, a freaking zombie baby? But then at the same time, you know, it was kind of like, this isn't really, a, uh, like, a funny scene. <laughs> and the opening is one of the best in cinema history. Um, I've only seen this movie a couple of times, but you know I can yeah, I remember how the movie goes, so it's like it's not like the it's not like I completely forget. I even remember how the movie ends, and you know they find an island, but uh oh, there's not they're not alone. I love that um, ending. The one thing though that's like that always kind of like gets me whenever I do watch it is mm-hmm. that. Uh, Michael Kelly, he plays one of the security guards, and how he looks in the movie looks exactly like Stephen Ogg 
who was in GTA uh, 5 and also uh, The Walking Dead of Simon. And uh-huh. I remember first time watching it, this, and I was like, is that him? Is he in this movie? Is he in this movie? No, oh, it's Michael Kelly. I don't even know who Michael Kelly is, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, double gangers exist. It's just, you know, you don't see them that often. That's one of those times. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I did not see it theatrically. Um, not sure why, but I'm pretty sure I did not. I think the first time I saw it was, uh, which I still have to this day, the VHS copy that I bought. Nice. And it came out. Um, and it's hard, it's hard for me to remember my initial, initial thoughts. I probably, well, I mean, you know, there's George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead and then there's, everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was nowhere near, um, my, you know, you know, back, you know, into collecting and my love for Italian cinema. And I mean, I just really didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot. I wasn't sure really re- what to make out of it other than this is a remake and I hate remakes. And, mm. but that, that has changed a lot over, over, over time. Um, I think I agree with you. I think this is uh one of the greatest uh intros mm-hmm. into the film. I think the intro is absolutely phenomenal. I think uh I think uh the mall more or less works, but I almost kind of wish they would have treated look, if you're going to remove George's substance and and his, and his messaging and not really replace it with anything, mm-hmm. Maybe the mall really needs to be just a piece, you know, you know, it like, you know, like what Rob Zombie did with the hospital in H2. Yeah. It's, it ends up, I'm not saying it ought to have been here, but I mean, in his, it's a nightmare sequence, you know, and, but it, it really is a lengthy homage to the original Halloween too. Mm. I almost kind of wish Zach would have did something similar without doing it similarly. Um, but I think it, it does work as an interesting, uh, as a, a, you know, not to the same near level and degree that George uses them all. Um, but for me, for me, I think three things really stand out for me from this movie. Um, the, the intro, uh, the island that you see at the very end, mm-hmm. which I think is a huge travesty that Zach has not decided to push this film further, or maybe he's just not been allowed to or something. But uh, um, because when those zombies come running down the hill, I don't know, you don't really get a good look at them, but it almost seems kind of like, do they look a little bit more like Fulci zombie? Hmm. They look a little more grittier and nastier. What the little glitch? Yeah. Um, and I oh, just voodoo whole, huh? I said, "Oh, voodoo zombies." <laughs> um, and then I, th- I think the third thing, the third thing that I always that I love more than anything, I think of this entire movie. I absolutely love uh, CJ, the role of CJ in this movie. Mm. Michael Kelly is freaking awesome. Uh, his arc is, is, uh, and, and it's funny because that's where I will take, uh, Roger Ebert to task on this. Uh, he does not give, uh, the character CJ 
the credit it deserves. Mm. I really liked his arc in this. I, you know, he's a reasonable guy. I mean, his decision, I mean, he, he bends to letting them in, but he does not want those other people coming into the mall. No. And he's right to a degree. I mean, because one of them is a zombie, like five minutes into getting in there, that the mm-hmm. big lane. And the other guy turns very quickly thereafter. And, you know, and that sort of leads into maybe where I think CJ, I know I love, um, what's his name there? Is it Weber who plays him? Um, um, our, our main, I don't know, is he our main protagonist? Uh, uh Anna, uh, together, um, I'm pulling it up, I'm pulling it up. Um, uh, yeah, Jake Weber plays Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael, the the guy who sold TV for Best Buy, um, mm-hmm. and Anna, uh, who is uh, unhusband. <laughs> in the, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like his character. I like her character uh, for the for the most part. But I think the most underutilized character um, is uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's character, Andre the. Who has the wife is pregnant with the baby? Yeah, which I I think is I I think it's the most unneeded aspect of the entire film. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen Mikael Pfeiffer uh, work more with uh, Ving Rhames. I thought you know that small little scene they share in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Where uh, Mikhail kind of gives his little speech about wanting to bring this baby into the world. Mm-hmm. I thought there was there was there was you know I just wish you could have seen those two work more together. I wish Mikhail would have been more part of the movie, but I think the whole isolating themselves off him and his wife hiding because he knows she's infected and he doesn't want anyone to know she's infected. Mm-hmm. I don't know that just the whole I, for me I, take that whole scene right out of the out of the movie and 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 I like Mikel have him in there but have him as a more of a main character mm-hmm. um, part of the the group now I love the I love the uh, the state the the uh, you know the the decision to get out of the mall and how they go about that mm-hmm. um, and their trip through the city uh, and then of course the harbor. Um, but for me, man, for me, even more than the intro or the or the island se- sequence, it's CJ, man. See, I just, you know, you go from a guy who you know you're really supposed to hate, mm-hmm. but, but makes a really great heroic uh, decision to buy time for the others, mm-hmm. and and you kind of get that along the way a little bit where he sort of just drops his head from time to time and he, but you kind of get like okay I got to do the right thing here I know what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. all right you know <laughs> where Steven is just a freaking a hole I mean that guy I mean you know you know you could help us out here you could do something and you know waves the keys well captain doesn't uh let the the people see him work <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I love the four. I do, I do. I thought it was a little cheesy, a little cliche when he's when he tells Anna, uh, you know, when she kind of criticizes them from uh, for playing uh, uh, character sniper up on the roof. <laughs> yeah, and, 
And she's like, y'all have y'all have problems when your kids growing up, didn't you? And he's like, look, if you ever see me turn into one of them, you have my permission. Blow my head off. She's like, oh, that won't be a problem. <laughs> and you kind of figure, well, that's coming down. The, that'll be coming down the road at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, CJ, man, for me, I don't know. And, you know, Ebert doesn't give him – he doesn't – I agree with Ebert, I mean, on the fact that this is not a very substantive film, but in terms of a remake of, of, of pushing some some of the things that made George's movie really super good, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't trash it by any stretch. He gives it a decent, fair review, but it's – it's uh, I don't know. Um, what do you guys think of um, – we got three originals from Don – um, playing different roles in this. Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, Reniger, Scott, or uh, Roger in here. You've got uh, Tom Savani in here, and you've got uh, uh, Ken Forhey in here as the uh, televangelist. I really appreciated the Ken Forhey uh, scene. It just It just worked so well. And it was an, it was enough of a enough of a throwback without being like I'm gonna beat you over the head with the fact that this is a throwback scene. And I dug it. Who did uh, Tom Savini play? Was he a zombie? He was the county sheriff. When they're watching news, he's the one telling them, basically telling them you got to shoot him in the head and stuff. Oh, and uh, who was uh, Roger? Uh, he was a general. He's also in the news clips. Oh, okay. So he's sort of in, you know, he's a general that gets interviewed real quick. Like, and uh, th- in fact, in the beginning, um, Glenn, in the beginning, that uh, part of the intro scene when, uh, or right at the tail end of the intro scene, when uh, the zombies are, um, uh, they broken into that, uh, was it like a news outlet room or something, or... Something like that, yeah. That, you know what that reminded me of? Uh, the, um, oh, come on now. Um, uh, our first real running zombie movie. Um, Nightmare City. Eight days later? Huh? No, Nightmare City. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That reminded me uh, of that when they uh, when the zombies break into that one place where the the girls are fim- filming their uh, exercise show or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, it was cool to see three of them, at least. Um, I thought Ken Forhey kind of stole it, though, with his, um, you know, the, I thought it was cool that he was able to re-deliver the line that he gave in, in the original film. Yeah. Except a little bit more, uh, I don't know, a little bit more, uh, Moral, moral undergrounding to it. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder why, where you're at? <laughs> Just consider a list of these things. <laughs> um, uh, what about Tyler Bates' score? I dug the score, honestly. I thought it was a, a really solid addition. You know, and, and let's be honest, that's the thing. The score has never been a huge part of these movies because, you know, night and dawn and everything were library tracks, you know? So this, it was neat to see an actual, 
an actual like written score. You know what I mean? Did you uh, catch the? Did you catch the? Uh, of course, this is pre Halloween '07, but uh, did you catch some of the uh, nods that Tyler will revisit in uh, Rob's Halloween movie? Uh, I didn't notice them, but you know. Well, you remember, you remember, well, it's subtly done throughout the score. Uh, of course, this movie's pre-Rob's movie, but Tyler will do the score for the 07 Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, but you remember the scene when, uh, when the, and it's funny, it has, it's a BP truck. So it's this, you know, it's the trucks that were outside the original mall is the mm-hmm. truck brings in, you know, the other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're, when they're, when you got that outside the door scene and the zombies are running up towards the ramp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole, that whole score piece right there will be, uh, used in, uh, the Halloween score. Um, for some of the more heightened moments with, uh, Michael going after Lori or whatever. Mm, nice. Uh, and then subtly throughout there's, there's some sprinkled in it. You could, you could tell, like, most of these guys do that stuff. They'll, They'll go back and redig into earlier themes that they've used. Um, but yeah, that, I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Um, the cinematographer on this also did the additional additional photography for Rob's Halloween movie. Oh, so it was a, you know a few things here I thought was interesting, and he. Um, uh, he, if I, if I remember, if I wrote this right, it's the same cinematographer that does Dawn of the Dead for, um, Zack Snyder. Uh, he also shot, uh, Poltergeist 82, Commando, uh, Extreme Prejudice, and Hard to Kill. Hmm. Can't go wrong with that. And did you know that Tyler Bates, I did not know this till yesterday, I think. Did you know Tyler Bates is the one who does the scores for the John Wick films? Really, really, that is interesting. He, I love him as a composer. I think he's really great. Um, I got, I got another phenomenal Easter egg, but I'll drop that a little bit later when we're ready. But I got a good one. I'm hoping you never heard this. It'd be good. Okay. Any so (laughs) what else? I mean, what else can we talk about? I mean, there is the fabulous island sequence at the end that we don't ever get more of, unfortunately. Yeah. Is there um, any like I, I mean I don't know I mean I mean if 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 Dawn of the Dead in '78 is a ten out of ten, what is um, not that it's our personal ranking per se, but what is what is how far under that ten is uh, Zach's movie? I'd say I'd say like eight point five out of ten. You know, it's it's. It doesn't have the the hooks that the Romero version has, but it's still damn good. There we go. That was Savini? Yep. Yep. Where's my guy? There's my guy. Yep. And, uh, there's that. I love CJ. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I love the end, man. I love the end when he's like, He's, I love it when he gets that look and he's just like, Psh. yeah. I'd be, I'd be the one, and but he, <laughs> but he embraces it and yeah. he lights the flare and he shoots and boom, tank and 
He just bought him a little bit of time to get off the pier. For all the good it does. I mean, and, and I do like I do like his character a lot. In, uh, I did see, you know, that's funny. I didn't, uh, what's not him? Um, what's his name there? Um, uh, what's his name in this movie? Weber's character, um, Michael. Um, I did notice though for the first time when I rewatched this the other day, when he, um, when they have that minor scrape, you remember when one of the trucks will overturn? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Stephen leaves Ving Rhames in there. Yeah. And then, thankfully, he finally gets his. Um, when they're done with that whole little sequence, uh, when Michael's getting up into the uh, – or no, he's already up in the truck, and he's trying to help, I think, try to get Anna up. Um, there's that little scrubble with the zombies trying to get up into the truck – and I noticed for the first time, he does real quick, like, you don't see his arm, but he looks down at his arm, and there's the foreshadow right there that he's been bit. Hmm. But Never you, noticed that. You'll get at the end. You'll, you know, of course, when he has to tell Anna why he has to stay back. <laughs> uh, I do find it interesting, though, that Ving Reem's character actually gives him, uh, gives him a choice. Hmm. It's interesting. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, well, what's the option? Uh, he, he enjoys a part of a day until he decides to turn, and then you got to kill him? Quick bullet to the head. It's over and done with. I mean, I just thought that was interesting that he even gives him a choice on, on the pier. Mm. It will seemingly, it seem, feels like he gives him a choice. Yeah. You know, but ultimately he takes his own life. Which is interesting. Yep. Um, and James Gunn, I always forget he wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Little <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy guy. Yep. One thing I always find interesting about the remake, though, is how they kind of touch on the fact that zombies don't eat animals. Uh, I think that's a, a really interesting, like, plot plot note, you know? The fact that, like, a dog can go walking around and they don't care. They don't see it as food. Now that'll change with survival, right? Well, there's a there's a zombie horse, but I don't know why it's a horse. Why it's a zombie? Well, well, there is towards the end where there's the horse that's there, and then the zombies start eating the horse, and then like the girls, yeah. like, oh, we could use the horses, and then she gets killed off. You know, like, Honestly, survival. I've seen survival once, and I, I never want to see it again. <laughs> really, I I I hate survival. Of all of them, it's my least favorite. You know, I, I, I might have only seen it like really one time, but I I picked it up actually in a Dollar Tree on Blu-ray for a buck. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that, you know. And I haven't seen it since. I mean, I bought it. It's up on my shelf wrapped, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's the whole Irish family clan thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's also the one in the main menu where you can choose the which main menu you want, or at least for the ones we got, where you could go on the survivor main menu or the zombie main menu. Was, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's cool. Freaking CJ is such a badass. Um, <laughs> he's got to be the he's the best character. 
I would probably uh, say something around the same as Glenn. 8.5. Pretty good movie. A lot of pretty nice yeah. stuff about it. But there was something that I just looked at. Now, it's, it's totally unrelated from Dawn of the Dead and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's just something I saw that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the budget for the 2011 thing mm-hmm. was about $38 million, while mm-hmm. Barbie's budget is about... Um, let me see what Barbie's budget was again. Barbie's budget was a, is a almost one fifty million, and I'm just like, if that switch, the thing could have been so great. But that's true. We're gonna just pay, get Barbie that so that Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and Will Ferrell could get like twenty five, thirty million. It's like, <laughs> man. Oh man, that's that's like the greatest little bit of information we've ever had. Like it's all right. It's two different studios. One's Universal, and the other ones—I uh, forgot, but it's not Universal. So you know, different budgets, I guess. But like, so come on. Yeah. We're gonna give Matthias like fifty million at least. He had to give him like almost forty, like nine and forty, whatever, man. <laughs> you know, um, uh, we didn't mention it, but uh, Romero's Don, or yeah, Romero's Don was. Well, well, the accepted number, maybe a little higher, maybe a little under, but uh, five hundred thousand. Yeah. Now they say a million, but they they say that number was probably inflated for the foreign investors to yeah. I guess make them think that more was spent on it than what was. Yeah. But I mean, can you imagine what they did with? Uh, it, let's say it's five hundred thousand. Can you imagine? That's what they did for five hundred thousand. Yeah, well, they Not they many. did they did the right thing. They didn't hire anybody with like big names. You know, all the actors were. I don't want to say nobodies, but you know, nobody. Yeah. Do you know of anything that any of them did before Dawn? Not them, but the guys in Night were like. There's people that they knew or someone from, like, the stages, stage uh, performances or whatever. Yeah. You know, well, but, I mean, that, that's the way that you cut down on needing, like, uh, to pay big stars, put all your money towards effects and everything. And if you have a good... Only good one without really, I mean, looking, uh, Ken Forey probably had some stuff in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Maybe? I don't know. Well, maybe not. I'm kind of flipping through his filmography real fast. Just uh, maybe Don was a big. Hey, I see Cheers on here. Isn't that funny? Uh, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, that's later on now. But yeah, that's in, yeah, that's interesting. But I think they. I think I heard somebody say if uh, you uh, if you uh, adjusted for inflation uh, today, that five hundred thousand would be like four million or something. Still, no, or maybe eight. Maybe it was eight. I heard, but either way, yeah. Could you imagine trying? Could you imagine trying to do this movie, Dawn of the Dead '78, for four, five, even eight million? Yeah, the only way you could do it is if people owed you favors. I'm talking big favors, like I saved your life one day. Um, now's your time to pay me back, type favors. Oppenheimer is about 100 million budget. I find it really kind of odd 
how how many movies are going over like hundred million dollar budgets nowadays? You know, I have a funny, weird feeling though. Oppenheimer is one of those movies that well, I haven't seen it, so I can't say for sure. But it feels like maybe that's one of the ones where you might walk out and think to yourself, "Okay, money well spent." Could be, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I guess it just depends on you know what what you ultimately um, see then, and I and that that always boggles my mind too because you get. Somebody like Rob Zombie who will take a five million picture and reduce it by like a million and a half. Yeah. And he doesn't get more work. There's our boy. There's my boy, man. He's just, just look just There he is. Here we go. Listening out the reasons why they the dead are walking. Voodoo man. That seemed, be, that seemed to be a little politically incorrect for even for that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, lay, laying at the uh, the feet of uh, a sin ridden world. What do you expect is going to happen? <laughs> well, it, let's let's never forget. Uh, I mean, even for oh four, it's a little ballsy to do. Well, let's never forget uh, when nine uh, eleven happened, and that preacher guy said, "Oh, like nine eleven happened because of the gays." <laughs> well, he's dad who's just an idiot. Yeah, what, what was that? That Pat Robinson or someone? I don't know. He's one of them big TV White preachers. Open up their mouths. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, that always happens. You know, you always get one. So it's kind of neat that they put they put in a character saying that. But you know what the thing is is, but his character. I mean, CJ has he seemingly CJ doesn't have any problem hearing it. He's he's it's swirling in his head. Well, but with a lot of things, you know, it's like, why is this happening? You know, why? What is yeah. this world we're in now? Is it as simple as this? Is a little more complex? What is exactly? But for CG, I think it's mostly how do I live day to day? Yeah. Uh, how am I going to manage myself just in this situation? And ultimately, though, we'll see his his character arc in a way that he he'll put himself in a place where, you know, he'll do something that will buy others time, even though it's, you know, kind of for not really, but no one knows that. I mean, no. for all he knows, they're going to get off the pier and find a nice uninhabited Island and live out their days. And he helped make that possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love it. I, I think to me, I think this is, this is what, this is the the best. This is where the movie really shines, I think, is and that's oh the stupid broad that chases after the freaking dog. Yeah, how freaking stupid! You've just established the point that the zombies aren't going after the dog, so whistle for the dog to come back. Well, I mean, what about that scene where they send the dog over to the that guy who's like in the other building? And then when the dog gets through, one of the zombies goes through the door. Is it just because, oh, a door open, I'll go through it now. Or is he chasing the dog? I mean, like, could it just be a bad plot point, though? Could be. <laughs> I, I do love the character. I love, I, love, I love the fact that they have to go underground and up through, its, up through the manhole mm. to get over there. But, but, but that was the question I had in my mind, too. Having seen the original Dawn, you don't have a gun store in the mall? Maybe it's in New York or something. Well, actually, no, it's in 
PA. I don't know. Do does PA have demos or whatever? Maybe that's why. Uh, they're trying to be accurate. Uh, it'd be weird. It'd be weird for there to be a major gun store right across from the mall, and there not being a gun store in the mall. Oh well, well I'm Unless maybe that store was there first, then they built the mall, and they were like, "Well, why do we need a gun store? There's one right across the road." Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it, it is a good. You know, I wish. I don't know. I. I kind of. I, I love that. I love that speech. Um, CJ gives about uh, trying to understand the plan that's going into effect. Mm. He, that maybe the long biggest mo- piece of monologue that he's given in the movie, <clears throat> and I love it at the end of it when everyone's kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty much." All right, I'm in. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's just it's just like you know, at that point, he's like, you know what, you know, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and die in this place. Let's let's you know try to make. But uh, to me, the the craziest thing is uh is the chainsaw incident in the when the <laughs> big oh my that poor girl when he ramps that chainsaw down her her, her shoulder yeah that guy was a creep anyways i mean yeah. he's so cj <laughs> about his 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 uh remnants of uh the the boy building his dock Mm-hmm. Or deck or whatever, and she just like I'm in hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. CJ's freaking awesome. All right. Um, and what? Anything else we can talk about this, or are we pretty much? I think we're pretty much done there. You want the Easter egg? Yeah. Yeah. Guess who was part of the production crew and working primarily in with prosthetics. Who? I'll give you guys. Let's play a little game. I'll give you three guesses. Three guesses each. Greg Nicotero. Eh. Rob Boutine. Eh. Tom Savini. Think outside the box. Um. Think. Think. Think outside the box. Think. Nineteen eighty four. Rick Baker? I think I said think way out the box. You got yeah. one guess left. Glenn, you still got two. Oh, uh, um, oh, I have no clue. Um, it's a girl. Girl. Yes. And, and one that you would not think was... Um, learning the art of prosthetics. Heather Langenkamp. You got it. Oh, dude! I just, I just knew that you know she's married to an effects guy. Yeah, she was on. <laughs> she is a She is officially credited for uh, Dawn of the Dead remake in the produ- part of the production group. That's pretty cool. Working on uh, working on prosthetics. <laughs> I totally, yeah, I, I, it just totally hit me. I was like, you know, oh yeah, Heather Langenkamp was married to a <laughs> to an effects guy. What? Well, yeah, didn't he play a role in uh, New Nightmare? Yeah, yeah, that was her actual husband. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. So I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a pretty awesome. Um, and I thought I do think it's pretty cool that Zach was able to get, uh, you know, a guy who shot things like Poltergeist. You know, he was able to get him to. Uh, 
shoot this shoot this movie for. So I mean, there was some, you know, between Tyler Bates's score and the cinematographer. It, I mean, there there is a lot of. I, I saw something, uh, you know, uh, you know how you know, bloody disgusting or dread central. All these things pop up in your feed from time to time. Yeah. Well, some it was dread central. Um, I consider them kind of the lesser of alls, but. They uh, they said something to the point, and they made a post, and uh, just a couple of days ago, they made a post that said, uh, uh, considering uh, Dawn of the Dead remake to be uh, one of the one of the great zombie films of history. Well, and I'm like, well, I, I I don't normally ever comment on these things on those things, mm-hmm. but uh, I did comment. I'm like. Um, if you're considering it a remake, sure, throw it up towards the top of the pile. As a remake, it's not a bad, it's not a bad movie. But if you're going to start talking about the greatest zombie films in history, that's a yeah. totally discussion. Yeah. Because now you're talking, you're talking not just Romero and Fulci, but you're talking about Growl, you know, sli- uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. Yep. You're talking, uh, you're, you're talking, uh, uh, Asorios, uh, Tombs of the Blind Ed. You're talking uh, e- 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 as cheesy as it is. Even Bianchi's uh, contribution, mm-hmm. or uh, Nightmare City, or uh, even Clark's uh, uh, Children uh, Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, people to consider before we start putting remakes up there. I think, but <clears throat> as a remake. Mm-hmm. I just wish we could have got more of the island. Yeah. I, and I wish we knew what was being played out in, like, Zack Snyder's head. Like, what was being played out? Like, what happened? What's going to happen? Yeah, it makes you wonder. Did Did you ever hear anything about a possible sequel when this movie first came out? I I I seem to remember them saying, you know, you know, a day remake could happen, but then it did, but it was horrible. It's always horrible. Yeah. Um, honestly, it seemed this seemed to come and go, unfortunately. Kind of like that Night Living Dead prequel that was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. I remember back in, like, 2016 or whatever, um, when me and Dad would go to would go to school, he would always, like, you know, be doing something on his laptop, and I'm like, hey, can you look up to see if there's anything new? <laughs> anything new with that whole, uh, Night of the Dead prequel? And, like, he was like, no, nothing, nothing new yet. And, like, two years later, I'm like, hey, anything new by chance? Like, nope. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's not happening. <laughs> you know, this movie, this movie budget, estimated budget was $26 million. It's Opening weekend worldwide was almost twenty seven million. Wow. Its gross worldwide was a hundred and two million. So it, why didn't it get a sequel? Exactly. Why? It if, tripled. If most things are based on financial returns, why haven't we, is this Zack Snyder's deal? Is he he just didn't want to do it, or was there even a was there a demand for it, or was this just maybe he was like James uh James uh crap what was his name um big crap um guy who did Frankenstein 
James Whale? Yeah, James Whale. He didn't want to do Bride of Frankenstein. He was like, a sequel? I don't want to do that. And then, you know, the, the studio was like, do it. He's like, fine, I'll do it. But I'll do it one time. And then they Bride. Maybe it was like that, except he just didn't do it. Could be. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on this whole entire thing real quick? Just an all-around good remake. So if you're planning to remake a movie, watch the Dawn of the Dead remake. That's how you do it. Or, well, there's a, there's other movies as well, or at least renditions of movies. Like, I wouldn't go and say watch the theatrical version of the 2011 or 2008 Wolfman movie, but, like, watch the unrated slash director's version of it, because that's, like, ten times better. Just yeah. Because of, like, the added scenes that he wanted in the movie that makes it make more sense or just feel like a better movie. So, like, you know, there's other movies. This is a pretty good movie to be like, hey, want to remake something? This is your uh, template. Yeah. Or like, what kind of remake you want to make? You want to make a exact copy? Then you know, watch Psycho. You want to make a copy that's uh, slightly off? Then you know, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, the one, the one thing I, I'll just one last final point I'll make that I really like too is just the, um, uh, the, just the. So it's so funny when when Anna and her and her are they married at the beginning? Uh, I th- that's her boy. Are they? I, I think they're married. Uh, it's funny, you know. They're both off shift. You know, uh, they end up going to sleep, and then when she wakes up, I love how the whole world has changed. Oh yeah, one night everything. Yeah, it's just when she when she ultimately is forced to go through the window and out. It's the world she's she's just fallen into. You know, yeah. quiet, perfect little suburbia is just now falling apart. Yeah, and for sure. I, look, I love the look on her face. I love how it just carries all the way through to when she finally crashes the car into the tree and then the, the title sequence all comes up. And so it looks, she's handling herself now pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does well eventually. I thought that was great. And, you know, and just the, the high, you know, it must have been a helicopter shot or something uh, looking down. And you kind of see that one truck rolling along and the other ones come in and it just misses. It goes right into the, the gas station, blowing it up. And just mm-hmm. yeah, it just I love just the, the whole you really hope if things just suddenly fell apart for whatever reason, you really hope you're not in that world. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I just kind of realized, you know, that her seeing the world change versus Simon Pegg not realizing the world change until he watches the TV and Sean is very, you know, <laughs> yeah, two yeah. versions of, like, like something similar. <laughs> Definitely a lot to talk about when you're just talking junk one and not even really talking about all the other films. Yeah. Just on. I mean, between the three cuts and the remake, um, a lot to, uh, a lot to consider and enjoy and to uh, just be happy that we've got this. Yeah. And the remake. And, yeah, I mean, and if you're going to remake a dead film, make sure Heather Langenkamp is in the production crew. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome, and make sure Tyler Bass Jr. scores. He did a phenomenal job. 
Yeah, definitely. Oh. Dawn of the Dead. Indeed. So, there we go, people. That is our uh, coverage of the multitude dawns. And uh, I think we can all kind of agree, you know, um, anytime you get to watch Dawn of the Dead movie, it's a fun time, be it a, the original, a, you know, the remake, any of the cuts. You can definitely do worse. So real quick, where can we find where can we find you, Glenn? You can find me on Body Bags. Um, you can find me on my YouTube channel, BDG Reviews, as well as on the Graveyard Shit Podcast, available on um, you know pretty much all locations. So I I think we're on you know like Spotify and everything. You know we're, we're everywhere, from what I know. Dan, where can we find you? Body Bags, my YouTube channel, Flying Kite 8285, if I'm not mistaken. If that's not right, then um, just it, it, my uh, my uh, Body Bags videos always has the link in the description. So I'm pretty sure it's Flying Kite 8285, but that's it. That's it. Uh, VHS82 apostrophe, my YouTube channel, and uh, Body Bags, and uh, of course Letterbox is also I think VHS. 82 without the apostrophe though and occasionally uh, here with uh, Glenn and Will so yeah see ya farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies farewell and adieu you ladies of Spain for we've received orders for to sail back to Boston and so never more shall we see you again. <laughs>